0: the topic for this evening is kind of. chesed kindness and it, you know for those of you that have participated in this course so far we've tried to do something um experiential and hands-on for some of them um and this this course we, we have little tzedakah boxes that the people that are here to take to go and we're going to talk about tzedakah but um, we just in the last few days have a personal yeah. story, running story that is not over yet, but it gave us, um, really gave me a firsthand experience of the kindness of the community. No and worries. so I'll share it. It's, um, it it's not, it's, again, go ahead, Debra. Um, I think this Richard and Susan Crone. I don't know who they are, but I think they have to mute. Okay, I can they're... actually mute them. So, yeah, if anyone's, you know, noisy, I just click of a button. How? <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. I was with t- in school, so, you know, when yeah. classrooms went on Zoom, it was so hard. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that teachers loved was just like, mute. We just do that. And if we could do that in real. Yes. Yeah um wouldn't it be great mute button okay so on this is just this is not not in the book this is our story on saturday night my son my 13 year old son came back from a friend that he had spent shabbat at and um he brought this friend home with him and they were going to have a sleepover. His the friend they, My son Shalom had slept at his friend for Shabbat and then the friend was coming over on Saturday night to over, and they go to Sunday school together in the morning. So they were getting out of the van with their stuff and they decided, the two 13-year-olds that don't use their full um, prefrontal cortex, that they were going to leave some of the stuff in, their car, in the car that they needed for the next morning because they go to Hebrew school and they pray at Hebrew school. So they left their hat and tefillin in the car. And the car was parked behind our house. Um, And that was just one decision that two 13 year olds made. And then my husband got out the car and for some reason, either had his hands full or something accidentally didn't lock the car. Mm -hmm. And if you know, Rabbi Ari, he's so careful with these kinds of things. Like he locks the car seven times a night, he double locks he's not not, it's not I don't think it's like he's not scared that someone's going to break into the house during the day but he's just like out of habit he always like locks the front door double I come home from school and I have to unlock two locks I'm like why are you double locking in the middle of the day but that's just like his habits he beeps the car like three times a night just to make sure anyway Saturday night doesn't lock the car and um we then we went out and he came home and he said oh I think I locked, I don't remember if I locked the car. And I'm like, okay, just, you know, lock it from inside the house. And he even said it and then just didn't pick up his keys and do it. Anyway, Sunday morning, my son goes out to the van. And because he was getting a ride with my And he's like, comes back into the house. And he's like, our hat and fill in are not there. And I'm like, no way. Exactly. Who's going to take them? No one took them. You're 13 year olds. You either left them at your friend or you left them at school or you, Thought that you moved it from their van to our van and you already left it in their van. That's like so many different things that could have happened. Cause it. Well, it's not the first time that he said that he lost something and then we found it. The car, so, the car was in our driveway. Anyway. So he, I sent him off and he was like really kind of like anxious. Cause he's like, no, I remember. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, I'm not panicking yet. I'm not worrying yet. They'll definitely turn up. So, Uh, He went to Hebrew school and I searched the house, searched the car. I called the friend that he was at for Shabbos and she searched the house, searched her car. Uh, Then I drove to school in Sandy Springs because I was like, they're probably at school and searched the school. And at that point, I'm like, not in the house, not in their house. So we came home and we just started kind of like walking around our alley, looking in dumpsters and looking behind the bushes. If someone took it and they would just like open it and then realize that there's nothing there. They I thought they worry. were, it's this leather purse.
2: <laughs> what this right, what are these?
0: And then just dump them somewhere. So we're, I'm walking the alley and looking in dumpsters and looking in the bushes and I see my neighbor and I told her what happened, what we thought we said. I said, you know, nothing else in the car was rummaged through. So I don't even think that they were stolen but we can't find them. So she went to check her surveillance cameras cause she has, and she five minutes later texts me a clip, a 25 second clip of someone walking down the driveway, pushing a bicycle, stopping at my car, opening the trunk, r- taking stuff. What
3: happened, they like a-
0: no, it wasn't locked. But
2: you, can just pull it open, right? you just well, press the button. Not- yeah. And I don't mean to interrupt your story, but you're lucky it wasn't locked. Right, because the then they would have broken, I, I broken it. it. So Correct, so know if know they
0: know, see so anything in their ca- in the car, the car that, so what we, and we know this, we live in the Highlands for 16 years so we, if they see something they'll break the window mm-hmm. don't leave anything in your car it was just like a mm-hmm. confluence mm-hmm. of of that anyway so, oh, so it was in the- then i posted it it was in the trunk so anyway then i was like we know it's stolen i was really 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 devastated we were really devastated and oh, so then the we exactly. here's to fill in here's to fill in Was stolen oh that's
2: not responsible is
0: it no i mean you can buy a new pair but
2: it's it's precious
0: it's very precious so i posted it so then i Posted a picture to Nextdoor, and like we haven't found them, but the community, the Nextdoor community, and just the community were so supportive and so uh, just like everybody was, you know, we'll look around, we'll keep our eyes open. Did you look here? Did you look there? Just suggestions and and so much, so much love and support and respect for you know this this rich, holy. We try, I try to describe it a little bit. I'm like it has no value to this person that most, walked off with it. Most of the
2: people wouldn't know what it is, right? I'm like, still- how
0: do I wrap this? What do I'm like, write, Ari, what do I wrap? Like, how do I explain what's fill it up? <laughs> anyway, so they then on our next door, um, somebody from CBS 46 reached out to me, and she was you know so what happened. Maybe you know we're thinking of doing a story. Maybe it will help you find it. So they're not found, but we did feel a lot of kindness and um, just love from the community. I want to actually share my screen quickly. So can you see it? Um, yes. So they actually did a, they, interviewed, they interviewed my husband Aww. today. And he got to explain a little bit about what to fill in R. So I'll just um, that. well, it has an article. You can read it kind of. Um,
4: a reminder to moderate oh, impulse. So Wait, well, let me start from the beginning. Hold on.
0: That's yeah. They did an interview at Chabad in town today. Give me a sec. I'll redo it. Um, I'll restart it and I'll put up the volume.
4: Wait.
0: Um, okay, people that are on Zoom, tell me if you can hear.
5: CBS 46, a sacred prayer item stolen from a local rabbi's son Yes. over the weekend from their midtown neighborhood.
3: Well, now their family is pleading for its return. CBS 46's Crystal Bowie speaks exclusively with the family about why the
4: item has so much meaning. Take a close look at this surveillance video. A person breaks into a car, stealing something incredibly sacred in the Jewish faith.
5: Whoever took it thought that they got some sort of purse or bag or something with some, what we would call universal valuables inside of it. It's a Jewish ritual prayer item.
4: The person in the video made away with what's called tefillin, belonging to Rabbi Ari Solish's son. They're small black leather boxes with leather straps containing scrolls of parchment inscribed with the holiest prayers from Jewish scripture. It's a
5: handcrafted, unique item that just can't be replicated with the push of a button.
4: Tefillin is used for morning prayers, typically by Orthodox Jewish men over the age of 13.
5: He's devastated about them being missing. He just, his bar mitzvah was just a few months ago. So this is his, you know, his prayer tefillin. And when you typically, when you get your tefillin, it's like for life.
4: The leather boxes also hold a deeper meaning. They're a reminder to moderate impulse. And so this crime of opportunity goes against the religious value.
5: Whenever something gets taken, I think there's a sense of violation, of being violated. There's a, you know, your your property or your things are violated, let alone when it's something so holy and spiritual.
4: The family fears the thief, not knowing what it was, could have tossed it in the trash. And so the rabbi at In Town Jewish Academy is praying it's returned. Hoping that
5: someone finds them or knows something about it and can help us get it back and reunite him these very special Jewish ritual items. The
4: rabbi says they just want their sacred items back. No questions asked. If you know anything or if you have the items, you can return it to the synagogue here or turn it in to the Atlanta Police Department. Reporting in Atlanta, Crystal Bowie, CBS 46 News. Wow. Wow! Impressive.
0: Okay. How did that happen? I just thought it was so kind. It was, was nice. so nice. And so, so nice of the community. Um, to to be so supportive and just everyone going out of their way to to help us so that's the story I hope that what I, think I hope there's a- an update with a happy ending it's 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 just been like the thought of them ending up in the in the in the trash or in the dumpster is just it's heartbreaking mm. They're gonna be found. They're gonna be found. Amen. No, okay. I'm not saying I'm, that's not a promise. Right. That's a promise. Right. Adira says that they're, Adira's prophesizing that they're gonna be found. Amen. I, I dreamt about it a day. <laughs> I dreamt
2: about it three days ago.
0: Okay, ready guys? Now the class is about chesed and kindness. So on that note, um, let's jump in. So I will share my screen again and share the PDF of the class. Um, give me a sec. Should I go check
2: to see if anyone's doctor? I did not. Yes, to please. That
0: that's a good idea. so he yeah so well, today was the first well yesterday we didn't know what happened to them today was the first day so um he so my when my husband's grandfather passed away so he um they got they checked his tefillin, and they were kosher so my, so Ari took them and so we have Ari's grandfather's tefillin. so Ari so Shalom's going to use those just for the next couple of days. So, if we, I mean, it's going to take a while. Look, we'll, I'm going to give it a couple more days and hope to find them. Otherwise, we'll have to order new ones.
2: Actually, how much, yes. is, how much did they cost?
0: There we go. They cost a few thousand. Like, they're about oh. four or five thousand dollars. If oh, you okay. want to know the couple truth, a <laughs> couple really? thousand dollars. I cannot. It's... I can't
2: replace them for you. I was going to do You're right. going to be in yeah. Brooklyn in May. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you see a GoFundMe for Shalom's filling, you'll understand why. I don't
2: think I can hold it, but if I could
0: uh, uh, I'm um, so it's voice. devastating. Okay, so we're gonna talk about kindness. Um, and um everybody that is on Zoom, you're invited to unmute yourself. If there's background noise, we know what to do. <laughs> um, so but you know, if there isn't, then you're welcome to be part of the conversation. If you're Zoom savvy, you can just mute and unmute yourself. Um, so we're talking about kindness and charity and kind of redefining them according to Jewish perspective. So when you think of kindness, um, you know what's the the standard understanding or definition of kindness and who wants to share what comes to mind when they think of kindness? What is what is what does kindness mean? Anyone on the screen? Anyone in person? Adira.
2: So. Kindness is doing something for another, whether or not anyone
0: knows about it. Okay. Doing, ki- doing kindness. kindness for another, whether it's anonymous or not. Lovely. Any other definitions or understandings of kindness? Because, of course, what we're going to do is redefine them.
2: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's returning the tefillin. Returning the tefillin, <laughs>
0: yes. Returning the tefillin would be a great kindness. So when we talk about, you know, the the typical understandings of kindness and charity, we think of things like, and they're not wrong, like Adira said, doing something for another, um, reacting to a need, you know, noticing a need, sensing a need, being sensitive to a need, and then reacting to it. Um, We talk about giving, um, you know, delivering services or goods. someone needs something, we deliver them, again, not as a delivery service, but giving somebody something that they need, and something that people, you know, some people have money, some people have, do not have money, some people have more of some, whatever it is, some people have less, so it's a, you know, something that people that have, can do for the have-nots. Go ahead.
3: It doesn't have to be anything physical, it could just be empathy for another person.
0: It doesn't have to be physical, yes, you can give... Beautiful. You can give um, emotionally. No, absolutely. It's not only positions. Right. Right. Just. Just. Right. And okay. Can you guys hear what we're saying? We're saying some wise things. So empathy, being yes. good. Just being there for somebody, being there to listen um also i think forbearance is another term that or a a trait that would help to define kindness okay interesting i like it i think it's people in the kitchen and that's not a bad idea or just shut the door and tell them we're studying next door and they should be a little softer so we are going to um those are none of none of what we've said is wrong some of it is you know more of the and typical understandings. What Donna said is is something that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about the space for showing kindness by just being there. Um, And and then we're going to just talk about some innovative and novel definitions that Judaism brings to and how Judaism redefines kindness and charity. So kind, number one, the one of the main ideas that we're gonna talk about is how kindness is more than something that we do for others and something that we do for somebody who has less than us. Um, it is actually the way that we, it might be the closest way that we can emulate and channel God. And we'll talk about, we'll break that down in a moment. That is one of the you know novel and innovative ways that we're going to define kindness today. And also how kindness is not a give take relationship as much as it's a relationship where both parties play a crucial role and a role that creates a world of justice and righteousness okay so this whole course that we're doing this year at the rush society is called well connected and we're talking about different mitzvot that define a jewish way of life so just to um review a little bit of what the what a mitzvah is a mitzvah we've explained is simply a divine commandment so if god told us to do it it's a mitzvah um it's typically a good deed and sometimes translated as that but that's you know just one part of what a mitzvah is and the kabbalistic meaning is that it, come, it is the act that connects us to god it's like that rope that connects us to God. Every mitzvah is another strand that strengthens that rope. And it is a mitzvah is the um, act that connects us to God and that strengthens keeps on strengthening our relationship to God. So today we're going to talk about the mitzvah. If there's one mitzvah that's the mitzvah, it's what we're going to talk about today, which is the act of kindness. And really, chesed, yes. And really it's not one mitzvah. It is a series of mitzvahs. And they collectively fall under the category of chesed, kindness. or another way to say it is gemilut chasadim. Chasadim is the same um, root word as chesed, but we're just making a plural. Chasadim, um, kindnesses. Chasadim. Chasadim, yes, but it's different. It's exactly. It like is right. Chasad, yes, yes. Same root word, um, and those are acts of kindness. So we're going to talk about in first three forms of chesed, and like someone said at the very beginning. You know, we're not only talking about sharing um, physical, possess- money, possessions, food. It is very warm. here yeah. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. What this is like? I turned it down and I turned it back up. Um, let's go down.
1: Before.
0: There's there's various forms of chesed. We're going to talk about financial chesed, physical chesed, and um, spiritual chesed. Okay. So if you look in the student book page 144 at figure 6.1, we are going to read the the list of this table that just outlines some forms of chesed. So Donna, can you see the screen? That Donna, this Donna, Donna, Zoom Donna. Oh, yes, I can see okay. it. Okay, good. Can you... Yes, there's... there's Zoom Donna and IRL Donna. Um, Zoom Donna, will you begin, please, with reading the forms of financial chesed? Sure.
3: Now, I can see, but the um, very end of the of Oh, the I see. Line... me to move my screen. Okay. Move it over. Yeah. Yes, nope. <laughs> Is that better? Better. I think I've got it all. Okay. okay. This is the classic form of charity, extended into oh, financial assistance. This is the classic form of charity extended individually or through a communal charity fund, feeding the hungry. The law is that when a person asks for financial assistance, it is prudent to investigate whether the need is genuine. But when a person says that they are hungry and asks for food, one must give immediately without further investigation. Giving a loan. A Talmudic maxim is that granting a loan is greater than charity as charity is only for the poor, whereas a loan is for both the poor and the rich. See Jerusalem Talmud, Peyah 11. Torah law mandates that loans to a fellow Jew must be interest free. Redeeming captives. One of the highest forms of charity is to redeem someone from slavery or captivity. As a rule, funds raised for a specific purpose must be used for that purpose only. An exception to this rule is that all charitable funds can be used for redeeming captives.
0: Okay, thank you. So that is um, the you know, most um, classic form of charity is financial assistance. And then this table, this chart that Donna just read, it goes up in levels of sophistication or importance. So, you know, giving somebody money, tzedakah, putting tzedakah in a tzedakah box is, is level one, very, obviously, you know, very important, um, a, a very basic value. Um, feeding the hungry, somebody needs food. You're not even supposed to question if, or investigate if they're really hungry. Um, someone's asking for food you are um you're meant to give immediately and then giving a loan of course is the next level of of helping the poor and setting them up for future success and the loan must be interest-free and and then redeeming captives is um is another way that we're we're meant to give charity and the charity that is money that is given specifically to redeem somebody that's um in slavery or captivity cannot be used for anything else. However, all charity can be used for redeeming captives. So those are four forms of financial chesed, financial kindness. Now we move on to physical chesed, um, which when we read it, we'll understand the difference between financial and physical and um, Donna IRL. You're up. Page 145.
2: 145
3: starting with physical chesed?
0: Physical chesed, yes.
3: Hospitality to guests. This mitzvah includes providing guests with food, drink, and lodging, making them feel welcome and at home, and accompanying them for a short distance when they leave. That's what's going to happen in the Shabbat at home <laughs> Would you like me to continue? Yes, please. So, visiting the sick. This mitzvah includes caring for the sick person and praying for them. Talmud says that visiting the sick removes one sixtieth of their illness. Thank
0: you. All right, one more, Donna. Okay.
3: Bringing happiness to bride and groom is a special mitzvah to help a single person find a spouse. I'm open to that (laughs) mitzvah. (laughs) Um, And to participate in a wedding in order to increase the joy of bride and (laughs) groom.
0: Okay. Thank you. Adira, the last two physical chesed.
3: Good oh here's a cute one
2: <laughs> um honoring the deceased or comforting the mourner
0: honoring the deceased
2: oh cool caring for the dead is called the true kindness gracious because one does not expect any reciprocation from the recipient the mitzv- this misprint includes participating in a funeral to accompany the body on its final journey and helping to assure that it is given proper, a proper and dignified burial. Covering the mortal. it is a mitzvah to visit a person who is mourning the past, the passing of a loved one. It is also a mitzvah to speak about positive qualities and goodies of the deceased. Do you want me to yes, me? please. Okay. Finish that. Returning a lost object to Torah. <laughs> yes. The Torah um Tuharib, yes Tuharib, mm-hmm. instructs that one who finds an object that has distinctive features by which its owner can identify um it is obligated to take publicize to take it publicize the find and mm-hmm. care for it until its owner claims it
0: right on, last one.
2: and roadside assistance it's that's what we're gonna talk about that one. If you see a dog, the donkey of your enemy kneeling under its load, assist shall you assist with him. According to the to one opinion of the Talmud, this was a source of the obligation to alleviate the
0: suffering of an animal. Nice. All right, I'm so sorry, what's up, this name? <laughs> Jolie. Jolie, right. Will you read spiritual present? Yes, Swallow, <laughs> go ahead, let me just scroll down. Yeah, go educating on. the
3: young. Educating the young is not just a form, of spiritual facet, but also the key to the continuity of the people, the sages
1: of you
2: know, school children, even for the building of the Holy Temple.
3: Teaching for them, oh, yeah. <laughs> but a person's teacher grants some life in this world and life in the world to come encouraging assisting a fellow to repent a wrongdoing or do a good deed the commandment love your fellow as yourself implies that a person should not be satisfied with their own spiritual gains but endeavor to achieve no less for their fellow
0: thank you okay so this there's, there's the financial chesed the physical chesed and the spiritual chesed and what we're going to talk about in the rest of the classes and delve into one example of each so the first the first um the next thing that we'll talk about is what I mentioned earlier, which is how, how um, you know, one second, how we define chesed. You know, less about somebody that's being generous or donating or giving something that they have to somebody that has less, and rather seeing it as um, an opportunity to channel and emulate God. So, um, how, So, what we're going to talk about right now, and we're going to look into the Talmud is um and, and read about how doing chesed um you know how does it work that it sounds lovely you're emulating god and you're channeling god but how how does it work why why are we why is this such an opportunity to really be godlike um more than probably anything else and so we are going to look into text one which is from the Talmud um Talmud Sota and I will read text one. I will scroll down so you can see it on the screen. Here it is. Okay. It is written, and your, after your God, you shall walk. But is it possible to walk after the divine presence? It is, not, is it not already stated that your God is a consuming fire? So in the Talmud's quoting um, from Devarim, from Deuteronomy that it says, you shall walk after God. I, d- I don't know why they wrote behind. I don't think it's a literal behind. I think it means that like, you should follow God. And then the Talmud says in a you know true Talmudic question, how can you walk, how can you follow God if God is um, in the sky or he's a, a, a you know, a, a, a fire not because the fire is going to consume you because you can go behind it and keep yourself from getting burnt but god's not something that you can follow so what are we being told when it's you know what what are we what's the Torah saying when it says you should follow behind the divine presence good His example so then the Talmud continues as god oh sorry your god is consuming fire but the meaning of this is follow god's behavior so follow his example as god clothes clothes the naked As as it is written, God made for Abraham and for his wife coats of skin, and he clothed them. So should you clothe the naked. God visits the sick. As it is written, God appeared to Abraham in the plains of Mamre. So too, you should visit. So you too should visit the sick. God comforts the mourners. As it is is written, it was after the death of Abraham that God blessed Yitzhak, his son. You too should comfort mourners. God buries the dead. As, As it is written, he buried Moses in the valley. So too, you should bury the dead. So, you all know the famous joke that, and actually, it fits well here, right? A flood was raging. I'm sure you've heard this from Ari. There's no way you haven't. A flood is raging, right? Donna's nodding. Um, the water is rising to the top of the, Joel's front porch, and um, his neighbor floats by in a little rowboat. And it's called, Joel, Joel, come, get in, get in. And you hop in, we'll float off to safety. The water's rising. And Joel's like, no, no, I'm okay. All my life I've trusted in God and not put my faith in the hands of a mere mortal, I'm waiting for God to save me. And so neighbor keeps rowing by. And two hours later, the first floor of his house is flooded, goes up to the second floor, and you know, a motorboat chugs by, yells, come, come, hop in. And same, same response, Joel insists that God alone will save him. Another hour passes, Joel's on the top of his roof, and the waters are rising, pouring, and a helicopter flies by. Joel waves the helicopter away <clears throat> and says, don't worry, I'm waiting for God to save me. And unfortunately, Joel drowns. <laughs> And his soul approaches the gates of heaven. And, you know, he is kind of angry and mad. And he says, all my life, you know, God, I relied on you and had too much faith in you. To the very end, I refused any help from humans. Where were you to save me? And so God, you know, voice calls out, Joel, a voice, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. And you rejected my help, so it's it's a you know it's a classic Rabbi Ari joke. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it it's in many classes, but over here, it really is kind of what really brings up the point of what we're trying to say. God's help comes sometimes miraculously, it's God's kindness, but everything that God, every act of care that God gives us is is His kindness, and when we help somebody in any way that God helps us when we help somebody with food and we help somebody with shelter and we help somebody with clothing and we help somebody emotion with emotional support, we are channeling God. And when we visit the sick, um, when we dance at a wedding, so in all those instances, we're providing the love and support for that person. and, And God is kind of providing that support through us. Um, God's acting through us and he can, you know, he can go like the same way God acted through Joel's neighbor when he sent the first boat and the same way God acted through Joel's other neighbor when he sent the second boat and the same way God acted through the helicopter rescue team. Right. God acts through us when we go and help somebody. God never actually told the neighbor get into a boat and go save your neighbor. But God sent, God is the one who directed that person to save, well, to at least give him the opportunity to be saved. So whenever we do something that is, that is helping somebody else and that is showing kindness to somebody else, that is really God just working through us indirectly or directly now that we know. So we are making the choice. We think we're making the choice, but it's really God providing that care for our, for our friend through us. So
2: can't just rely on
0: the celestial. No, definitely not. Yes.
3: So i wasn't
0: Okay. So I think in, in this, in the in the in this in this lesson, it just the point of it is to say if God is something that's not God's not doesn't have a physical presence he's a spiritual godly presence so he you know you, we can call him things like fire or or how can you follow after something that doesn't have a something that you can't follow so that's really the context of it yeah but an understanding the kabbalistic meaning of god as fire is for cabal and coffee okay. um yeah we're just it's, an, it's just to point out that god isn't anything that we can physically follow so what are the, what is the ta- what is the Torah saying when he says follow God if you can't follow God? He's everywhere. He's, you know, how can you follow God if he's everywhere? God is in the rain. Right. So that point is be like you said, be like God, and and now we're explaining how we can be like God. So, and even, you know, the there's a footnote here that when I read it, I didn't want to miss out um, from sharing it because it was just it was really beautiful. The footnote says, even in the case where for whatever reason a person needs to experience hardship, God's deepest desire is that we should step in and help them. And then the Talmud gives a parable, which again, I'm sharing because I thought it was beautiful. Too good not to share. And I'll read it. It's written beautifully. There. This is the question that was posed by the wicked Tornus Rufus to Rabbi Akiva. If your God loves the poor, why does he not provide for them? I will illustrate with a parable. Suppose an earthly king was angry with his servant and put him in prison and ordered that he should be given no food or drink. And a man went and gave him food and drink. If the king heard, would he not be angry? So if the king put a servant in prison and ordered that he not be given food, if somebody snuck the servant food, the king would be very angry okay rabbi akiva said suppose continued suppose an earthly king was angry with his child and put him in prison and ordered that no food or drink should be given to them and someone went and gave them food and drink if the king heard of it would he not send the person a gift in appreciation so the 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 lesson was that even if god for some reason someone was um not deserving but was meant to experience a hardship and ultimately it's for the good but we don't always see that and does god want us to stand by and let them experience that hardship even because god was the one that you know ordered that hardship and so the answer is just like in that parable sorry Phone and apparently they're connected. All right, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thank you. <laughs> it's my son.
2: I'm not sure if it's just when something is done to someone else. It could be something done to like that joke with the helicopter and the boats. Mm-hmm. I had that, that man's same mentality of Hashem put me in this home, in this situation, Hashem
0: will get me out. What is Hashem getting you out? What would Hashem getting you out look at? Like?
2: Well, I just waited. I was treated like dirt by my horrible roommate, and I figured Hashem wanted me there for a reason. I don't know what it is, but I trust Hashem. And if Hashem wanted me out of this roommate situation, Hashem will take me out. And he did. It took, it's, it took right. six to seven months yeah. before I was out of it, but Hashem eventually rolled his eyes and said, all right, stupid, I'm going to have to get you out myself because you're not what doing you anything. Doing? What did we do? He brought another girl into the program, and someone said, hey, would you like to... And get okay. And okay. I, like, yeah, I would sunshine yeah. you wouldn't necessarily
4: well, maybe you maybe I should say you would okay. I work healthcare and I believe that healthcare the things that were given were given to us because God said we're gonna show you how to do these things and then you can provide for other people rather than I think just, you
0: see it in healthcare. Like I I don't I just you know in my whatever my experience with health healthcare, it's just like uh, one of my kids was in the NICU and you, you, I remember watching through the windows and I'm like, those nurses are God's, are, are God's Absolutely. angels. Like, I'm like, Absolutely. they are doing God's work. Well, how else can you, you know, God himself is, is just, they're channeling God. And it's exactly what we're saying. Yeah. That's, is yep. Absolutely. What I, provide Absolutely. Is I provide hearing
4: for children. So I deaf children, get cochlear implants and I turn them on uh-huh. eight month old on Friday, a month old baby got two implants and she heard. Oh, my and so gosh.
0: Wow. I hope you're hearing that's, this. This that's, is phenomenal. That's
4: part, that's part of, no, you know, anything. but I, I think you see just it. hoping that the deaf will be healed naturally is no, I, I correct. That, that's not
0: how God intended the and, world to you know,
4: it's there, you know. I guess Christian scientists believe that um, they won't do anything, but that's not. Christian but scientists. Judaism doesn't, and you Judaism know that's a p- but, the leash, leash, but
3: that
0: also a situation, right? And that's what we just read. God, so if we, God put you in the situation, but He also put others there to act on His behalf with kindness, and it's that's the. We'll read in a second. The world was built on kindness. There's a there's this co, there's this relationship where. That's the way the world is supposed to run, where people are are helping each other, and God, that's God's acting through them. And again, we'll, we'll we'll analyze it a little bit more. Now it's actually very cool. We're going to look at the dynamics of two Hebrew letters and understand from these two Hebrew letters the relationship between the um,
1: the the giver and the receiver. Even though you we're nope, nope. Okay. Okay. and David. Hey, oh. go ahead, Ray. Forget it. Um, so what I wanted to say, I couldn't tell if anyone said it because it's hard to hear. Okay. Um, but um, there's a mitzvah for which um, the person can't thank you. And that is if you serve on the Hevra Kadesha and you prepare the person for burial. And that's a, a, it's a beautiful mitzvah, I think. So
0: being on the Hevra Kedisha, being on the group of people that prepare a body for burial is is called chesed and it's actually called chesed shal emet it's the that it's the ultimate ultimate chesed because you cannot get anything back from that so person how do,
2: we do that how can we you get
0: that just, opportunity you contact the chavrakadish and go through how? whatever training and oh okay
2: because yeah. so i was just going to ask about the chavrakadish yes yes and we're
0: going to, to talk about um well we're going to talk about um comforting mourners so it's a little different than the chavrakadish but the chesed of being on name? the Heber is, is chesed shall the chesed the ultimate chesed. chesed. Um, but what we were just saying, I just want to kind of clarify this point of tzedakah, when you translate tzedakah, typically people will say charity. Righteous.
1: Nice.
0: Correct. And if you look at the Hebrew word of tzedakah, it actually does not mean charity. I don't know what charity tzedek. means. It means tzedek. Tzedek is, is righteousness or justice. And that's what, Jolie, what you were saying, which is, you know, that is... Um, the, when you do tzedakah, you create the justice, you bring that justice, you partner with God in in creating a just world and, and you know, some a, a child that was born without the ability to hear. And it, it, we don't say, well, you know, that's how God created them and we're not supposed to do anything. We're just supposed to let it be. God created this world where there is the human ability to, to kind of be part of that. The creation of justice and righteousness for this um for this child and and to give him the ability to hear and that's something that that you know jolio we had is part of and it's it's a beautiful example of of uh, god created the world with us and god our partners in creating the righteousness and the justice that is meant to be um and therefore, we do the tzedakah because it's our—we're obligated to bring justice to the world and to bring righteousness to the world. Okay, so now let's look at the gimel and the dalad and understand the relationship between um, the giver of tzedakah and the receiver of tzedakah. So, charity, tzedakah, of course, is—you know—it's universal. Everyone, every society has accepted it, um, but we have a different understanding of it. We, the Jewish idea is that it is um, the, it's not an optional act of generosity or, you know, you're not being generous or, or, I mean, what's using the word kindness, but I think, you know, you're not not donation and you are doing what is right and what is just. And um, we are, as we said, you know, God is acting through us. So, oh, before we look at the Gimel and the Dalit, actually, and just to finish off this point, um, text three, which is on the screen, do not say to your, is from, you can read where it's from, Rabbi Yaakov bin Asher. He said, do not say to yourself, why should I reduce my wealth by giving to the poor? Know that the money is not yours, but a deposit. To do with as the depositor wishes, and this is the and this is God's will that you dispense it to those who are poorer than you. So you know, but you don't see wealth as something that you. Of course, if you worked for it, and you don't dismiss that it's your hard, you know, that you worked hard for it. But the then you you would feel lucky to be the one that God chose to have to give. But you're just God's, you know, um, you are acting as God's banker and distributing the wealth where God wants it to be. And you you can just be thankful that that was the, the role that you were chosen in that relationship, but really it's God's it's God's money that you were given to share appropriately. Okay, now we are going to look at the relationship between um, giver and receiver by looking at two Hebrew letters, Gimel and Dalet. And if you look in your student textbook or on the screen, it's on page 150. Did I say that the one fifty? Yes, right. Okay, so the all the Hebrew letters have significance, and the two that we're looking at today are Gimel and Dalad. Um, there's a fascinating passage in the Talmud that discusses the significance of all the Hebrew letters. Another great class, not now, but the letters Gimel and Dalad are you are interpreted as models for the dynamic dynamics of tzedakah. Um, ouch. Oh my are you are you cut no bad. Uh, i would not can you not can you not touch it please can you can replace it can you put it down thank you thank <laughs> you can you not get just careful because might might people we just broke a glass <laughs> what, sign what what of, we? The we
2: we, were you we did we're, we're, we're a team
0: i think we need a paper bag
2: put it
0: in the cup first. oh yeah put it in a paper cup are you cut no, no. You okay. Yeah. okay um honey can you move to a different spot so you don't touch yeah. the table and get God forbid, a little spin- last venture.
2: No, I just have glass only. Okay,
0: so go wash it off. Move over to a different spot. <laughs> yes, Mother. <laughs> Thank you, dear. We'll clean it up at the end. Well, no one's gonna touch it right now. We'll put it in a paper bag at the end. Um, okay. So gimel and dalad are the two letters. And if you look at the gimel on the dalad, and just a reminder that Hebrew works from right to left, um, the word gimel means to give, right? We, we said at the beginning, gomel, gmilot chasadim. It means give or grant. And the mm-hmm. word dalad- Like benching gomel? Yes, and same root. And the word dalad means um, someone needy or impoverished. And we're gonna look in the text in a second. So the gimel zalad represent that relationship between giver and receiver, between the giver of chesed and its beneficiary. And the, according to the Talmud, the formation of the letters actually teaches us a few distinct lessons about this relationship. So look at text five. I love this, it's really cool. Yes.
3: So
0: gimel is how you describe the letter, but it also doesn't work for itself. Gimel, well, gimel gomel. Yes, gimel is the name of the letter. And if you look at the text that we're about to look at in text five on page 151, the first few words of it in Hebrew, gimel dalad. So it says the two, the names of the two letters, gimel dalad, gimel dalim. That's what it's like, kind of an, the gimel stands for gimel. And it's the same root, the same Hebrew letters, gimel, gimel. Dalim is a very similar word to the letter dalad, And it means, so gimel means giving, dalim means needy, give to the needy. So the letters, Gimel and Dalit represent the phrase Gimol Dalim, give to the needy. Okay. Um, Sarah, can you unmute and read? I'm getting tired of listening to myself. Yes. You. So you just finished give to the needy. So what should I go to we'll, an... we'll start that one again and we'll just flow.
4: Okay. Thank the you. letters gimel and dalad represent the phrase gimol dalim, give to the needy. Why is an appendage of the gimel extended toward the Dalit? because it is the way of the giver to pursue the needy. Why is an appendage of the Dalit extended toward the Gimel? Because the recipient should make themselves available to the giver. And why is the face of the Dalit turned away from the Gimel? Because the giver should give in secret, lest the recipient be ashamed.
0: Okay, thank you. So if you look back at the, at the Gimel Dalet, I think there's another picture over here in 6.3, it says to you know, why does the gimmel have this leg? Hi Audrey, how are you? Leg, you just you somebody. There we go. <laughs> um, why does the gimmel have a leg extending towards the Dalit? And the reason for that is because the giver is supposed to be proactive in this relationship. And we we'll, and um why does the dharad? Let me show. See if it has another picture. Why does the dharad extend a little bit backwards? And that is because the the da, the receiver is supposed to make themselves to a certain extent available to the giver. And even though, but even though, if you look at it, even though it extends kind of backwards a little bit in that circle in that little circled spot, the the dalet, the opening of the dharad, is facing the other direction. So there is some sort of. Um, you know, you're not making the receiver kind of look you in the eye and 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 take from you. You you're offering them that that anonymity, that that privacy, and that um, that's that relationship is respect. It's a very respectful giving. And sometimes
2: we are, the time, we're at a given time, can either be the gimbal or dollar. Yes,
0: the right. You're not always the gimbal or always the dollar, exactly. Of course. Because sometimes it's financial and you might not be able to give, and sometimes it's emotional and you might be, you know, and that's and spiritual giving and and all these different things um we're going to talk soon about comforting comforting somebody who's mourning that's you know you you can be the giver because you're visiting somebody who's who's in mourning and you can unfortunately be the receiver because you somebody passed and now you're um god forbid sitting shiva so The first lesson from the gimel is that its leg extends forward and it is showing that the giver should pursue the, you know, should pursue opportunities to give tzedakah. So um, typically when you're, you know, there's there's the typical, like you're just doing your, you know, you're going through your daily drive and you wait for somebody to come up to your window or you're going through your daily, doing your work and you're, if you receive a request for tzedakah, you re- receive a request for a donation, then you might look into it and consider giving. But typically, how often do you pursue those opportunities to give? So the first lesson from here is that the mitzvah it, there's a mitzvah to give, and you're supposed to go at go and actively, proactively, proactively look for opportunities to give. And the the, the actually there's a, the word that the Torah uses um, in general about mitzvahs is in Hebrew, osake, to occupy yourself. You, you're supposed to occupy yourself with Torah, learning Torah, you're supposed to occupy yourself with doing mitzvah, like chesed, like tzedakah. And the word osek also means um, engage in business. And so the interpretation is that just like, if, imagine somebody has a, a product that they sell and they, they sit back and they think like, well, I have a great product um, with a good price. Tag doesn't sell itself. I'm just gonna, you know, right? Donna says it doesn't sell itself. So why should, this person thinks a great product, great price? Why should I go out chasing people, right? If someone wants wants it, they I'm gonna be they can come to me and I'll be happy to do business. So obviously that's not how a business person would think because they won't make any serious business. You know, as a serious business person who wants to sell their product. That you'll only succeed if you proactively look for opportunities for sales. Wait, so the same attitude is supposed to be, O Seif, but Torah, uva Mitzvot. You're supposed to occupy yourself in the same way with Torah and Mitzvot. That you're not just, I'm at my desk. If someone asks me for tzedakah today, I'll donate. Rather, proactively go out and look for ways to pursue chesed. So that's the gimel with gimel, le- that's the lesson from the gimel kind of with its leg. It's in that like, you know that emoji of someone like running? It kind of looks like a gimel. It's like the leg is forward because it's running forward. Um, okay, so that is the gimel. That's one lesson from the shapes of the letters. Ray, I need to unmute you so you can ask your question. Ray, we don't hear you. Can you unmute? I'm not yeah.
1: So uh, according to Maimonides' uh, levels of giving tzedakah, um, the next to the highest level of giving sadaka is to give to someone that you don't know and that they don't know you. That's the next to the highest. That very highest being, of course, is to give someone the opportunity to have a job so that and they don't need to tzedakah. accept tzedakah.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. So now, okay, thank you. That is beautiful. I'm, um, so until now, we're talking about the role of the gimel, and he's, we looked at the letter, and we learned that the gimel is supposed to pursue the, the opportunities for giving. Um, now we're going to talk a little bit about the recipient and the, and what we look when we look at the Dalit, what we learn about the recipient. Um, and if we look at text six, this is another beautiful, um, very profound. I think I went text six. I went too far. Um, text six. Um, Deborah, can you read text six, please?
3: more than the benefactor does for the pauper the pauper does for the benefactor thank you
0: so we take a, also, again a, a different perspective a jewish perspective that it's it's a relationship where both of them both people have a important role and um if you think about it you know and typically the giver gets all the glory they get all the respect they get the name on the building um and the receiver typically feels inadequate and shame um so it's not just you know god could have just as easily made it the other way around or created a world where everyone was self-sufficient and nobody needed anything from anybody else but yet god wanted a world where kindness and chesed was happening constantly. And there was this, this relationship between giver and receiver. And um, that way, the world, the people in the world mirror God. So yes, God could have easily created a world when none of this was needed and everybody did, nobody needed anybody else. Um, but he wanted a world where people among themselves created this sense of, of, of righteousness and justice by channeling God and by... Um, making sure that there was constantly kindness and and giving happening. And the, um, so that if you look at the Dalit, you see how the little thing on its kind of on its shoulder um, protrudes backwards, showing that the recipient should be open to receiving um, because we all know that, you know, some people more than others have a hard time with, needing somebody else's help for whatever kind of help it is and you know we we don't want to feel like we need somebody else we don't want to feel inferior we don't want to feel like anything like that but both the giver and the receiver are offering something to the other Um, they both have in a sense equal role Um, and that's why that little piece extends over its shoulder to show that there is this there's no. a two-way stream, well, yes. It kind of
3: looks like Dalit is like running away from the Gimel and has his back it.
0: Well, the, it does have its back to the Gimel because that's what we're gonna talk about and what Ray just said. We're gonna talk about the value of giving anonymously just for the, you know, but it's also the Dalit's very open.
3: But not towards the gimel. Right, so
0: it's still open, to but it's forward. back. Right, so, and then we're gonna talk about, we're gonna continue looking at that shape of the Dalit. So, um, the, the third part of it is, is we talked about giving, the gimel is pursuing, the gimel is proactive, the dalet is allowing itself and being open to receiving. Wow. However, the third piece of it is giving with dignity. And that's why the Dalad is got its back to the gimel, even though it's very open on the other side, it's still got its back to the gimel. So it's not a close. There's some letters that are closed that are just completely closed or mostly closed. It's not a mostly closed letter. It's an open letter, but it's back is to the giver. So notwithstanding the importance of the role and the relationship and being a receiver and how it's, how, you know, that's the way God created the world. And that's the way he wanted the world to run with this giving, receiving relationship. However, as Ray said, Maimonides still gives us eight levels of giving tzedakah. And it starts from a person giving not enough. So inadequately and unwillingly. So that would be the lowest level. Like they still gave, someone still gave to somebody else, but it wasn't enough. And they were they were giving unwillingly and unhappily. So that would be the lowest level. And as it works its way up, they present each level up present, um, represents a greater level of sensitivity and dignity. To the, to the final, the highest level is where you actually give somebody the opportunity to work and so now they don't need any charity they can provide for themselves. So that's the greatest dignity um, that you can give somebody but every level as it works its way up is you know a little bit more dignity, a little bit more um, anonymity. So the giver does not, it goes up to the next level is when the giver doesn't know who gave it to them um, and it preserves their dignity. And this is demonstrated in the shape of the Dalit. So they're still getting, but the gimel made sure to give it in a way that the Dalit's dignity was maintained, whether it was, you know, and dropped something off if they needed clothing or food, you know, kind of dropped it off on the porch or sent anonymous money, whatever whatever it is and whatever the case is, the gimbal, the giver was very sensitive to the Dalit so that the Dalit wouldn't feel any shame or any inadequacy and that is, um, that's you know the second to highest level of giving and the highest is as we said giving a job well, um i
2: mean you know, don't even blood. that's kind of being that's kind of like a child of anonymity you don't know who's right you don't it, know whose blood and receive, giving it, but it's in
0: a okay So that is a little understanding about the relationship between the the giver and the receiver, looking at the letters, gimel and dalet. Gimel is the giver, dalet is the dal, the needy, the poor. And um, we're gonna move on to an example of emotional giving, um, comforting the the mourner. So as with charity, the... um, The act of visiting somebody who has suffered a loss and offering them consolation is not just limited to the Jewish community It is something that everybody does. However, the um, Judaism brings a very unique approach and a unique value and kind of set of etiquette to this form of chesed. And it starts off with Shulchan Aruch which is the code of Jewish law and text seven so the code of Jewish law actually gives us kind of etiquette for comforting somebody who is mourning. Joy, will you read us text seven, please?
3: The comforters should not open the conversation until the mourner
0: opens first. Okay, so first rule of etiquette is when you go for visiting somebody who is in mourning, is you go to you go to a shiva house or whatever it is, you go to somebody who's just suffered a loss, and you are supposed to wait in silence and comfort and silence until they begin the conversation. And the reason for this law is because some people feel like when they go to you know, comfort somebody in mourning, their role is to entertain and to bring some humor and joy and, and, and lightness to the, to the atmosphere and dispel the gloominess and the sadness, and, um, and, and that might help the mourner forget their pain. And the Jewish approach is that that's not your job. You're not coming to entertain. You're not coming to to help them forget for a couple of minutes. You're coming to help them grieve. And everybody grieves differently. And you don't know how that person grieves until you wait quietly and let them start the conversation. And based on what they say is where you'll go with the comfort. And sometimes you it might just be sitting there in silence and just sitting beside them. I mean, that's what you were saying before. Like you sometimes some, you know, people don't want to talk and they don't want to be spoken to. They just want to sit in, in in their in their grief. And if you're sitting there beside them, that's how you're comforting them. So the first rule is, you know, everyone's everyone is processing their tragedy differently. Some might want to talk about, about their loss, some might not. Um, so you don't know how to proceed until unless they begin the conversation, and so your the the rule is that you wait quietly until the mourner speaks first. Okay. Um, when we do speak, what do we say? So you know, how can you? What is there to say to comfort somebody? And so there are actually traditional words, and and even if. You know you don't have to wait for them to say this when you, when you when you walk into somebody's home that's that after a funeral or if you go into a shiver house you say these words and then after that you would just kind of not say much more unless they continue the conversation but there's traditional traditional verse that you do say and it kind of it kind of it's it gives you something to say because you're otherwise you don't know what to say so we just we just talked about not taking on any like, well, I'm going to make jokes. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to taking on any sort of like, I'm going to bring something to the atmosphere. But then, and sometimes you do just sit quietly. But even when you sit quietly, there is a traditional verse, one verse, it's a one sentence verse that you're supposed to say when you approach somebody that is grieving. And the verse is, (laughs) Hamakom Yenachem Etchem. May God console you among the other mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Yes, just for passing. Well, Baruch Dayan HaEmet is something that you say, good. So um, Atira just asked what, she thought it was Baruch Dayan HaEmet. So Baruch Dayan HaEmet is something that you say when you hear bad news so when you hear of someone passing the first thing that you do is bless god who is the, the eternal judge or the judge of truth so you know you've heard something tragic and it's kind of like it trains you instead of saying like oh my gosh how could god do that you just like god knows what he, he's the eternal judge of truth and we don't understand his ways and why somebody passed especially if it was untimely but we, we, the words that come out of our mouth are Baruch Dayan Ha'imet. And they are somewhat comforting, so but when used. you actually, this is when you talk to somebody that is themselves in mourning. So they're sitting shiva. You go to a shiva house. You walk up to the person there, you know, you, you, you're you there for the service. Then you want to approach them and say something. But the Jewish law is don't just, you don't want to start a conversation or make a joke or you don't have that right until, until they've kind of said, if you sit around for a, with them and they're they're telling jokes they're telling stories then sure follow their lead but what do you say and so you're not supposed to say anything but the, the Torah then gives us this text for comforting mourners and it's one sentence hamakom and, and it's we're going to look at the messaging what is the subtle messaging of this of this I verse that is so comforting through. Jerusalem
2: yeah but so, so the don't Rebbe don't wrote mourners. a letter
0: the Rebbe one second the Rebbe wrote a letter to Ariel Sharon Eric Sharon after the death of his son. Um, and he explained in this letter this verse and what is so, why we say it and what's so comforting about it. And I'm just gonna kind of go quickly through it. There's two points that he shares um, in, this, in this letter. And if you wanna read text 9A and 9B, um, it's from the letter, it's the text of the letter that the Rebbe wrote to Ariel Sharon after the death of his son, but I'll just give you a summary The summary is that the traditional words of consolation, which we just read, may God comfort you among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem, have two points of consolation. One is that the entire Jewish people participates in mourning in individuals' loss. So you're not mourning on your own. And think of how powerful that is. You're, You're saying one short verse to them, but it's got two messages. One is that you're not mourning on your own. The entire Jewish community is mourning with you. So you know you're at a loss of words and how powerful is it to say to somebody you're you're not on your own i'm with you and the entire jewish community is with you in mourning and and really that the counter part of that is the other side of that coin is um your your that that um your grief is shared by the community and that makes it so much more bearable and how valuable that person, you know, that person wasn't just an individual, they were a part of a community. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it can be very comforting. And the second message in that, in that verse is, um, what the Rebbe explains, um, in regard to Zion and Jerusalem, the Romans and before them the Babylonians were only able to vanquish the wood and stone and silver. Oh, why does it reference that Jerusalem? Because just like when this, the, the temple was destroyed, so it says that only the physical gold and silver and stone of the temple was destroyed, but the spirit and the spirituality in that space was never destroyed. So the, this verse references the, the um, Jerusalem, because just like the spirituality of Jerusalem was never destroyed. With even when the temple, the physical temple, was destroyed, so when somebody passes, only their physical body passes, and only their physical body is affected by the death. And the spiritual relationship, and their spiritual presence, and the spiritual goodness that they brought to the world through their good deeds, does not depart. That that remains forever. So you're kind of giving this to The soul, up. This soul, this the the soul goes. Uh, the soul goes through this process of returning to god but the spiritual impact and the good deeds that the person brought and the and the, and the opportunities to stay connected to the it doesn't make a difference where the soul is in terms of being connected to it, it can be a step away or can be up there that your your connection to that soul doesn't isn't affected by distance so the body is is you know affected by death but the spirit and the spiritual relationship and the good deeds that that person brought to the world do not depart. So this short phrase of so the
2: spiritual good deeds remain yeah. in the earth. And Correct. Meditation. And
0: y- yes. And you get to continue, you know, especially if you continue those in the same path of those same good deeds or you do good deeds in that person's memory, you're just keeping their presence. So let's say the person has
3: no yes. or whatever. So the person departs and has no lots of good deeds but
2: there's actually there's a so those good
0: deeds would remain the spiritual impact would remain right. and it's that that person's friends and people that acquaintances would you know stay connected no one would be sitting Shiva because no one's that's what's, but it doesn't it, does, it still doesn't mean that their spiritual impact is not departs the, the the spiritual impact. so the, the the comfort that we give and we offer in this very short verse is you know you're not alone. The entire community is mourning with you, and there, this, this, this the departed isn't really departed. Just physically, they've mm-hmm. departed, and spiritually, they haven't. And um, I, I want to wrap up. So the last, the last point that I want that the, the class talks about is one more act of chesed, which is um, hosting guests. <laughs> um, and it, yes, and it brings uses the example of Abraham who was talking to God. So Abraham had had a Brit milah at the age of 99 and God visited him. He was sitting outside his tent in the sun, healing from his Brit and from his bris. And he was talking to God and he saw some guests approaching and he just, you know, God, give me a sec, give me a moment. I'll be right back. And he went to welcome the guests and to give them food and drink and rest. Um, And so the Talmud in the Talmudic, style says what, what, what was Avraham doing how did he how, you know God one second I'm going to go welcome these guests and so we understand from that story that um hosting and welcoming guests is more important than talking to God but then the Gemara continues how did Abraham know this if he was the first one to do this how did he um how did he know to do yes. this and so we'll conclude with this this text 11, which is how Abraham knew. Um, has anybody not read for us this evening? Joy, will you read text 11 please? Abraham's conduct can be explained with the
3: following parable: a, business, a businessman pays a visit to one of the stores. The manager greets him with great deference, seats him comfortably in his office and begins to tell him about the branch, the state of its merchandise and so on. Just then a few strangers enter the store. So the manager says to the owner, excuse me, sir, while I go tend to my customers and rushes off to serve them. Is he not doing
0: exactly what the owner wants him to do? Yes. So nice, right? Um, God, obviously, this, the story of Avram's hospitality illustrates the idea that taking guests is greater than receiving the God's, God's presence because um, actually taking in guests, taking in guests is actualizing God's presence in the world rather than just kind of having a side conversation. It's actually, would you rather talk to God or be God? Would you rather have a conversation with God or channel God? So back to bringing it full circle because when you're doing Fesed, you're channeling God. It was obvious to Abraham that Talking to God was secondary to to channeling God and actualizing God in this world by bringing by bringing in guests into his home, and um, the actual the the you know the the Torah gives us the Jewish law gives us specifics of what hosting guests should look like, and the one interesting um, rule or law about hosting guests is that besides were. Feeding and making them comfortable, and everything that you do inside your home to take care of a guest, you're supposed to escort them to the door and even beyond. And the reason is because just that escorting them beyond your beyond your everything that you do inside your house, you might be doing inside your property or home, you might be doing to be a good hostess, to be the perfect. You want to have the beautiful, perfect um, hosting, and you have the little like mint on the pillow and the towel and the water bottle, and you have the beautiful meal and you make your guests so comfortable. And now you are, you've taken care of somebody and you've done all this, but you've also made sure that everybody knows that you're the perfect hostess. (laughs) So to just to make sure that you're doing it completely for the sake of the guests and not for looking good, you escort them beyond your door. And that just that act of going beyond your house, your home and your property shows how everything you did was not for anything selfish and for yourself, but really to help and care for. So that's why you walk
2: into the bottom of the driveway. That is why you walk into
0: the bottom of the driveway and the further you walk in the better. Obviously you don't have to walk in beyond your home, but the concept is just that by doing, by walking into the door and beyond, you are, um, you're showing that all of that kindness that you offer them and you extend to them, even in your own home was not selfish at all, but it was to show kindness and care to another. And with that, we will conclude.
3: Yes. How are we to view? I mean, not just your particular situation, about you know, but, but things, situations like that. So how are we, with is supposed to think of or view? You know, the person mm-hmm. that did it. For
0: some right. What so that's a good question. We start. We're, we're bringing okay. it all the way back to the beginning, where we, my family, experienced, you know, the kindness of the community, but also theft, and so and i'm kind of i'm putting this out there because i'd love to hear thoughts on what you know what we can do to kind of give ourselves that perspective and and not have negative i mean i kind of do have some negative thoughts but not to kind of not to focus on the on the a
2: act, the negative that act them.
0: that was done to us there is
2: a kindness you could do that you may not think of yeah it's the emotional kindness of compassion. Here is someone who's so desperate that they're willing to take something, that they don't even know what it is or the value of it. They're just taking it because they have a sensation of desperation. Right, so it's kind of extending understanding so to that. Compassion, compassion. in itself. Is it kind of chesed possible?
0: Right. Yes, true. Any thoughts on how we can we can have chesed even towards somebody who <sighs> does, harm. does harm?
3: Potentially.
0: I think the compassion was a good one kind of just just tell, reminding ourselves that they're obviously struggling and suffering through something on their own, which is what caused Atira, I'm putting
2: cleaning
0: up no you can't clean up glass like that. Um, all right, if you, um, if you'd like you can read through the key points just as a summary, they're here on the screen I'm not going to read them. If you have the book, um, if you have the student book, there's always really good um, articles at the end, additional reading. So I encourage reading those. Um, I'm going to play a video of um, the Rebbe. And it's a, it's a compilation of, of just different stories where the Rebbe just showed incredible kindness to people in, you know, the first story is, is, is people in Dakar Africa. The Rebbe found them, you know, found somebody to, to send somebody to find seek out four Jewish families in Dakar, Africa, and sent them matzah for Pesach. Um, so I'm going to share that video while we clean up. You're welcome to stay on or hop off. I'm going to stop my share screen, pull up the video and then reshare. Um, yeah, so give me a moment. That oh, works. To link this. I'm just pulling it up, sorry.
2: Share sound. Sure.
5: In the Haggadah, it is written Elahua Anyo they are horal a to its This is the same bread of friction that our ancestors ate the land of Egypt. Since the year 2448, after the world's creation, the children of Israel, in all generations,
6: in whatever land they may be, fulfill
5: the sacred mitzvah of eating the handmade matzah during the Seder nights in each and every year.
6: In the first years, that the rabbi was rabbi. I tell the rabbi, I'm going to South Africa. The rabbi says, "Uh, are you stopping on the way for a day or two? I says, go with Pan-American direct. You don't have to change planes. Again, don't you stop on the way for a day or two? Came home, I told my wife that if she don't get a telegram that they arrived safely, she shouldn't be boring. came to Dakar, the pilot came out and says, Ancient problem. How long would it take? Not less than 40.
0: So, just because uh, I've flown this route to Africa, to South Africa via Dakar, the plane cannot fly, the, the planes can't take off on a full engine of fuel, so they stop and they refuel. But nobody even deep you stay on the plane. It's just you stop, you land in Dakar for a couple of hours, the plane refuels. And so it's called a direct flight, even though it has to refuel. But the Rebbe said to him, like, Are you stopping? Aren't you stopping? Aren't you? Kept asking, aren't you stopping for a day or two? And he's like, This flight isn't supposed to stop. It's not considered a stop. And it turns out that when they stopped to refuel in Dakar, they had to wait two days because there was some engine trouble. And that's how he Rebbe Weinberg found Jews.
6: I go down, and just across the street, there's a store that belongs to it. Climate Politi is the name. Is there any other Eden? There's four families we know. Plane was fixed in time, and before he took me to the airport, he said, Rabbi, you will never know what those two days meant for me. I came and wrote a letter to the Rabbi. For Pesach, Rabbechadakov calls me and asks how long it takes the package to reach Dakar? The rabbi wants to send matzah for the people nor There should be end time has to be by airmail. <laughs> I like it but it's long and I don't want to. After I am a tanger. Then the mother, the last. I have to take the train and go to the east Bronx. I come there. He opens the door, no shirt.
1: Yeah, I guess. Some tattoo.
0: I'm gonna put it into a um into a follow- I'm gonna ask to put it into a follow up email so everybody can watch it and jump around on their own. Um, stop share. But that is it. Thank you everyone for joining unmute you, you can all unmute yourselves. I'm not sure what you're Thank doing. you. It was thank a very enjoyable class. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. Okay. Thank you. Nice see you Susan. So thank
3: nice. you very much. Enjoyed the class as always.
0: All right. L'chaim. L'chaim. Um, L'chaim. L'chaim.
3: um, this is
0: to, to what's it the to replace the glass? the glass that I broke. Oh, you can put it in your toileka box, it could be your first. <laughs> Your first siddhaka. L'chaim, everyone. Good night. Oh, yes, good night. Good night.